also recording. Manamana. Soft skills engineering. <laughs> Manamana. Is that our intro music? Yeah. Oh, no. It is now. It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 48. I am your host, Jameson Dance. And I am your host, Dave Smith. And today we have a brief message from a wonderful sponsor. Are you interested in perhaps taking the soft skills engineering advice and quitting your job and getting a new one? Well, boy, <laughs> do we have the opportunity for you. Algolia is a company that uh, builds a hosted search platform. They power search on Hacker News, Periscope, Twitch, a bunch of other popular uh, sites and, and projects. Yes, and Algolia is hiring solutions engineers in San Francisco, California, and Paris, France. So they sponsored us to get the word out. The solutions engineers work with Algolia customers to build SDKs to help solve client problems and basically make the service look good. We talked to Algolia recently, and one of the things that impressed me about them is their culture. They take it really seriously, and they work hard to create a good environment for people to do great work. They are also looking for a specific kind of engineer. You'll have a lot of latitude to solve customer problems without a lot of oversight, so they want someone who's uh, good at self-direction and exploration. And they also have uh, told us about their interview process. So they want you to go to algolia.com slash engineering and check it out there. The process is a phone screen followed by a GitHub take-home assignment where you'll publish your code on GitHub. After that, they'll fly you out to one of their offices for an in-person interview. So that's the process, and we definitely recommend that you go check it out if you're looking for something new and exciting. algolia.com slash engineering. Yep. Thanks again for sponsoring. All right. I think we have a comment to share from a listener this week. This comes from a listener named Philip, and he writes in, Thanks for doing the podcast. It's definitely aided me in dealing with superiors better. Before, I tended to side and show support with one side. Now I tend to be a peacemaker and make everyone happy. Good job, Philip. That's so good. literally making everyone happy. Yeah, that is hard to wow. do. <laughs> you have done it. I... Does that mean when I feel happy, it's because of you? Yes, it's And if Philip. so, thank you. Thank, thank you, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> thank Philip for Philip. Um, but seriously, good job. <laughs> yeah, good job. All right, I will read our first question. When and how do you quit a company that is on a death march? Normally, I would just quit, but I've recently been promoted to team lead. There's also a certain level of camaraderie among the devs, and I'd hate to leave and force someone else to work harder to take my place, even if it's only temporary. Hmm. Should we start with a definition of what a death march yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Does it literally end in your death? Yeah. Because <laughs> if so, you should not quit. <laughs> Wait, why not? Because you'll die. <laughs> it's the only thing keeping you alive is you... the march. I thought... Isn't that backwards? Wouldn't maybe you this die is, if you maybe, stayed? Maybe this is why we need to define death march. Yeah. So the listener included a link to Wikipedia. I read the page and it basically is a, a project that people think is doomed to fail, but also has intense deadline pressure. So usually mm. um, people work really long hours and they feel like the effort is not going to result in something they're going to be proud of. Yeah, so should you quit in the middle yeah, of this? So <laughs> should you like abandon your team to this this bad situation? Yeah, and and I think you might think as a knee-jerk reaction, well, yeah, of course you should quit. But I don't think it's that simple. Why not? Well, if you quit, 
then you're leaving your coworkers in a rut to carry the weight through the rest of the death march that you're leaving behind. Right? Yeah, I think I think that's their concern, especially because they're in some leadership position. And I haven't been in what I would call a death march before. I have done periods of crunch time where it's working uh, really long hours for a, a set period of time. And it's kind of like sharing a foxhole with someone. Like you're in this situation together and it builds a, a closer relationship. The relationships I have with people that I did crunch time with mm -hmm. are probably closer than other professional relationships just because you're spending so much time together you're like putting out these fires mm -hmm. together you're going through this intense pressure together and so i can see that being hard to leave like you feel you feel closer to these people and you don't want to hurt them see you later nerds <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the foxhole <laughs> i remember how you work in 80 hour weeks well it's about to be 100 hour weeks <laughs> Forged in the fiery furnace of affliction. How'd you like that alliteration? Yeah, there's also this weird feeling where looking out at people that aren't in the death march, half of me was like, I am so jealous that those people have lives outside of work mm -hmm. for these few weeks. And the other half of me was like, they're not elite enough uh... to like work this hard. And it was almost this point of pride that we, we could... We could do it, and the stuff we were working on was so important that it demanded all of our time. So I would say that you suffered from a mild case of Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, very possibly. Um, but again, I wouldn't call it a death march because we had very clear timelines for when it would end, mm -hmm. and we stuck to those timelines. And I think a common thing is uh, you start with very clear timelines, and they just keep getting extended. And yeah. If I found myself in a death march and it was so bad that I was contemplating leaving, but I still felt attachment to my teammates and to the company, I would probably see what I could do to end the death march without ending my employment. Hmm. You mean just talking to a manager yeah. or someone who's responsible for setting the pace? Yeah. I mean, if you go to a manager and say, this is getting really intense and I'm hearing rumblings of people quitting, that's going to very possibly move things to end the death march because the only thing that makes a death march worse is when the marchers start quitting because then yeah i i don't know that someone who thinks that a death march will save it is the right way to run a company will respond well to that kind mm. of feedback though because in my mind these don't work and reaching for one is a sign of, of failures in other areas. Yeah. And you're just trying to like grind people up and convert them into productivity. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so if someone views people in this way where you just kind of like chew them up and spit them out, cause that's what it does. Like yeah. people don't have happy, productive careers in death marches. I, I feel like that might be a hard conversation to have. It would be, especially if the answer is, well, if we don't succeed, then we're all going to lose our jobs anyway. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. If, if if they if the person who decided this isn't just like I'll I'll kill our team but I'll get a ten percent bonus <laughs> but if it's literally like if we don't ship this product for this gigantic customer then the company will cease to exist. Mm -hmm. But if it's anything less than that, you have negotiating room, and you know there are ways to ship product without necessarily meeting a schedule or meeting all of the needed required or so called needed features 
Um, maybe you can negotiate the feature set downward a little bit, or maybe you can push the date out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the way to ship a product on a deadline is to cut scope until... Until it fits. So let's talk about what would happen if you quit. What would your coworkers think of you? I mean, I, I could see them feeling like, oh, so-and-so abandoned us, but that's from within the Stockholm Syndrome, the, mm-hmm. the weird prism that the death march puts over your vision. What if after you quit, the company goes, oh, this actually was bad, and they end the death march, and you're the hero? <laughs> yeah, that could happen too. It's... Okay, first, I want to examine some things we haven't examined yet. Why did you start a death march? How how did you as employees end up in a situation where your manager comes to you and says, hey, everybody, we've got this really important thing. We're going to need everybody to work nights and weekends for like five months to hit it or whatever. Because to me, if someone came to me and said that, uh, I would say no, and then if they said, but we have to, then I would say, okay, I will now leave. So in other words, you like, would never even start marching? Not if it was something I could see coming. Mm. There's an implicit agreement or, or relationship with the company, I think, that you have when you get into a death march, which is like, I will sacrifice for the company, and in turn, the company will reward me or pay me back somehow. And I, I don't know that the company is likely to hold up that end of the implicit bargain. I have a story about a, this is a friend of a former coworker. So it's a little bit, it's secondhand, but Mm -hmm. he was married and he was working in the video game industry, which is notorious for hard deadlines and death marches. But they're also, yeah, that's like the default way they operate. Yeah, basically they're also notorious for big bonuses at the end of the death march. So theoretically, you go in one, into one of these things with your eyes wide open, and then you come out with bags of money at the end. And he was working on a game with promises of tons of money, and he was like occasionally sleeping under his desk and working like 80 to 90 hours a week. But he was holding on hope for that big payout at the end. And when they finally shipped the game, he got his big payout, and it went into his bank account, and then it disappeared. And then he came home and his locks were changed and his wife served him divorce papers. So (laughs) it was a really, really unhappy situation for this guy. So I think that if your personal life is taking that big of a toll, that there's basically no amount of money that can compensate you. And I would say get out while you still can. Dave, you earlier mentioned Stockholm Syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's white Stockholm syndrome in this guy's or in this question asker's situation. But the fact that they have this leadership position makes mm-hmm. them feel a sense of responsibility, not just to the company. Cause if it's just the company, you can say, well, like I don't care. Companies are faceless, soulless entities that will betray me at a heartbeat, but it's my teammates and they're yes. real people. And I don't want to hurt. And they're them. counting on me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't want to let them down. That's a really good point. And I'm not sure how to deal productively with that besides just explain it to i don't know you well explain it to who to your to your yeah maybe maybe that would cause your whole team to quit yeah it's kind of like pandora's box once you reveal that you're disgruntled with the situation then that'll spread like a virus 
Yeah, because the the traditional thing you're supposed to do when you quit is say like, oh, the, I had a great time here. The company's in good hands. <laughs> yep. Everything's fine. Like, you don't want to quit and say, by the way, you're all suckers who are getting yeah. taken advantage of. And all the more reason to go back to your leadership and say, this is serious. It's a big deal. We need to end this, or, or at least make a plan to get out of it. Yeah. There. So there's this thing we do with questions where we try and answer the question before the question which in this case we're trying to say like what do you do when a death march starts yeah <laughs> or how do you avoid it from yeah. starting because that's so much easier than what do you do once you're in it <laughs> uh dealing with it yeah i don't i mean i don't know that there's a pain-free way no, to no. to extricate yourself from the situation it's like your like arm is stuck in the rock and you have to saw it off with your pocket knife or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think at this point um, you need to try to quantify the problems or the pain that's going to come from leaving. Are you going to carry a black mark with you, with the people at this company, with your employer, with future employers? Um, are your coworkers going to feel like you betrayed their trust? And if you can come up with satisfactory answers to those questions, then you can quit. But I, it could very well be that it's going to be too heavy to leave it. You could also ask if what the potential upside is. This is a common part of the startup myth where there's some period of time where everyone's working really hard and they're trying to rush to get to the market first or solve some really intense problem and they push really hard for a period of time and then persevere and pass through and then they're into the magical unicorn billion dollar valuation land or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's exceedingly unlikely that any company ever gets there, but it does happen. So, I mean, if if you feel like it's not a march towards failure, but it's just really intense, high pressure, but there is some upside, then it could potentially be worth it to push through. But that's that's so hard. It to is, judge. and and There's, you could actually ask for the upside. You could say, hey. We're putting in a ton of hours. I want a commitment from the company that we're going to get compensated after this is done. Yeah. Yeah. There's, if, if you have created a situation where you need to do some crunch time, um, there are responsible ways to do it. And one of the things is to put explicit stop times on it. And the other thing is to recognize that after you finish, there's a period of recovery where mm -hmm. people are just burnt out and they can't do the work that they were doing before. They can't even do like normal work. Yep. Uh, and people either will quit or they'll just like come in and do nothing. Or you can recognize that and, and give vacation yeah. time or I don't know, just like say, hey, take the week off, just be on call for prod outages. Yeah, I was going to say offering vacation is a nice way to do things if your company is strapped for cash. You can say, hey, after this is done, after we ship, everyone gets a week off or two weeks off. Yeah, yeah, I guess you said strap for cash, so bonuses. But, I mean, people won't say no to money, but I don't know that that's a great reward for missing time with your yeah. family for months at a yeah. time. Or, Well, tough one. <laughs> um, how do we sum it up? I think we sum it up by saying... This is a really hard situation. It's best to not get in it in the first place. And once you're in, we have no advice for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I personally would quit. Yeah, you definitely um, would. <laughs> and I 
<laughs> yeah, I would 100% quit. Like, I'm going to work 80-hour weeks for myself and not for anyone else. I think you would work 80-hour weeks for about one-tenth of one week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I honestly don't think... I, I don't think the downsides of quitting are that bad, honestly. I think we've kind of erred on the side of staying a little bit during this conversation, but... Um, oh, heck I think, no. I don't, well, you wouldn't, but don't stay. <laughs> I think sometimes we overplay the downside of quitting, especially in the industry the way it is today. There are plenty of jobs, and no one would fault you later if you said, we were death marching, and I didn't want to do it for the fourth month in a row, you know? Yeah, and and some people might worry, does that communicate that you're not dedicated right, to the company right. and you won't give everything to, to the corporation? Like. Yes, it does, because that's an unrealistic ex- expectation to have. It turns out um, there is a limit to how much I will give. And yeah. it's commensurate with how much you will pay me. <laughs> that's not, that's actually not true. It's not that simple. Well, yeah, but but this agreement that you work 40 hours and you get paid a salary and then you go home and have a life outside of work, I think um, companies that can successfully plan around that are places I would rather work anyways than places that will ask in the interview, like, what would you do if we had some product and you had to work hundred hour weeks for six months to get out the door? Can you be dedicated enough? Like, yes, I have the passion. (laughs) Don't want to work here. (laughs) Yeah, I can be passionate and my passion is spread across all kinds of different things. And that makes me a better employee. Question answered. All right. Our next question comes from a listener named Klaus. He says, Hi, I am a software engineer with a small company of nine people. My annual review is coming up. The company told me they are willing to pay me more. I have a strong but unconfirmed feeling that I am underpaid in relation to my colleagues. How can I find out if I'm underpaid without looking like an ambitious, greedy slime bag? Note that my company is very small. Thanks in advance. I love the show. It makes my commute really enjoyable and weird for people watching me laughing alone. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to help make you look weird. <laughs> yep, congratulations. <laughs> and sorry about that. Yeah, so the fact that your company said they're willing to pay you more, to me, is like a 99% confirmation that you're underpaid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even compared to your coworkers. Um, yeah. You're probably paid Unless you've been, that. like, threatening to quit and the company rests on your shoulders, the only reason they would do that, in my mind. I mean, they, there's probably lots of reasons, actually. Never mind, not the only reason. They're probably wanting to do right by you, but also that to me just implies they feel that you're underpaid. Yes. As a manager, if I went out of my way to tell someone they were underpaid, it probably means that they've been looking at the spreadsheet that has everybody's salaries and yours is like this obvious outlier <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. and they felt bad. <laughs> yeah, they felt bad and they're trying to prevent what we're about to tell you to do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have, I have done this dance several times, but never with coworkers where I think I'm underpaid and then I go find more information. And it turns out that I have always found information that leads me to believe I could make more money. (laughs) What do you know? We're in a booming market. Um, I've done it by doing like one-on-one salary exchanges with people where we just say, Hey, I'll tell you if you tell me, and then we tell each other and like, huh, one of these numbers is a lot bigger. (laughs) Um, I have created, uh, anonymous surveys and kind of 
shown them to community people and collected a bunch of actual data and then plotted it on a spreadsheet with like years of experience mm -hmm. and language and created best fit lines and stuff. Uh, and then I have looked at like salary.com and Glassdoor and those websites, but I haven't worked at companies big enough to have, um, reliable data about what my coworkers made. So it was more to see like what do industry people make. I have done those as well. And I have also just to make sure that it's scientific and a nice random sample. I will stand on a street corner with a cardboard box that says, if you're willing to tell me your salary, pull over here and we'll talk. And I have collected zero data points that way. Just so you know. <laughs> huh? What do you know? Um, did you, did you make sure to put on the sign like, Hey, I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> I forgot. No wonder I didn't get any, any, any bites. <laughs> I want to reiterate what Jameson said about these various websites like salary.com. It is so, so wrong. It, it, I just, oh, every time I go there, I'm like, what, what is that? Like I never fit in the curve. Either I'm on the left or the right. And mm -hmm. they, the titles that they use, it's like software engineer one through five. And I think those roughly correlate to years of experience if you read the details of the job description. But then they have all these other things mm -hmm. like computer programming analyst expert, you know, like what's that? You know, so it's just so wrong. Yeah, I, I've never really liked these salary, these like aggregated salary reports because I think they they put too many people into the same bucket and then you are trying to find exactly what you are worth on the in the market and you don't fit any you don't fit that bucket because it's too wide yeah in in my experience from looking at the salaries in the big famous tech companies and then talking to people i know that work there they feel they feel like they're on the low end mm -hmm. the salaries at these websites feel feel lower yes. than what i hear like if you're comparing to silicon valley or big city salaries at big yeah, tech if you companies. go like look up facebook mm -hmm. and then you talk to someone that works at facebook it, in my experience they make way more money than shows up on that website yeah and, and that's another good point is that these big tech companies they tend to be in very expensive high cost of living areas and so they may literally make twice as much as you if you live in like the united states midwest but they might have yeah. less money than you <laughs> as a result yep of where they live <laughs> yeah so how to find out if you're underpaid i mean you can those websites are the the easiest thing to check and they can give you an estimate that's not very good but mm -hmm. at least something to start at but then all the other options require a little bit more potential awkwardness yeah where if you tell someone how much you make and they tell tell you how much they make then um, someone will be sad. Yes. One of you, <laughs> way, one of you is going to be sad underpaid. or maybe both of you <laughs> like, Oh, I was really hoping you made more. <laughs> well, even if you make the same amount of money, exactly. <laughs> one, of, one of you might feel like, wait, I know way more than this person. I'm, I'm way more valuable to the company. So a good friend of mine has something he calls the salary game. And we may have talked about this on the show before, but there are three rules. And you must agree to these rules to play the game. First one is we both have to tell salaries. We, even though in time one person will go first, the other person has to promise to go. The second rule is we both promise not to get mad. And then the third rule is we have to agree to these rules before we begin. And I have played the game with him and it's been interesting. And he has 
uh, not gotten mad, and I have not gotten mad. Good work. Yes. Does that mean you won? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but this is easier to do with non-coworkers. Yeah. Because the salary isn't, well, like I hinted at earlier, the salary is not directly related to your value to the company. It's got a lot to do with negotiating and what the market was like when you applied mm -hmm. and how many times you switched jobs and all these different things that aren't how much money does your work make the company. Um, and that's easier to acknowledge in, in people that you don't work with. But when you work directly with the person, you kind of expect, or at least I expect things to be a little more fair. Yeah. Just irrationally. And like, yeah, it's fine that other people like make more or less than they're technically contributing to the company. But my coworkers like it's fair here. Right. Yeah. And then nope. you find out, wait, no, <laughs> it's not, it, it's actually not. <laughs> and, but you sit next to that person and see them every day now. So. Do you think that ranges are different enough at different companies that we have to tell Klaus, like, uh, find out with people you don't work with, but also you need to talk to people in your company? Or is it okay to just get a general idea of the industry and location that you're in? I think that especially since this company he's asking about is very small, that I would not get salary data from my coworkers in this situation. I think that kind of news could travel really fast and... Um, I wouldn't go to them, but given how small the company is, I would go to my manager and say, how much less am I making than my coworkers? And what would be a reasonable level to bring me up to be on par with them? And that can be a really awkward conversation to have, but it's a really good conversation to have, I think. Have you done that before? I never did it, but once I became a manager, I realized I would be perfectly comfortable talking about this. Um, it's hmm. like the whole salary system is shrouded in mystery and then when you become a manager you're like oh this is actually just people making decisions and they're just as um self-aware and and what's the word uh, what's the word where you are lack self-confidence uh jameson <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like they're just as like self-conscious self-conscious about their own mistakes as you are about the things you do day to day so yeah it's a conversation that they might be a little bit uneasy to have it but it's something that they have a lot more concrete information about than you do that's really interesting i have always treated it as kind of an adversarial thing where i need to defeat them like keep it low keep their salary as low as possible no 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 on the other end where i'm trying to increase oh, you, my salary sorry yes uh, yeah, no, I'm, I was I'm thinking, trying to crush my subordinates was, under my heel. No. <laughs> well, that no, that can exist on the manager's side, too, is you feel like it's a competition to keep everyone as low as possible because you feel like it's your job to keep the cost down. But no, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about when I am working somewhere and I feel that I'm underpaid, I like gather my weapons and my weapons are all these things we talked about. Yes. I have information from friends and colleagues and the industry at large. And even potentially other job offers. And I use that to defeat them yes. in the salary negotiation battle and like make them give me more money. But I haven't considered that more collaborative aspect where they want you to be happy and they're willing to give you more money to make you happy and make you stay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's worth a try, especially in this situation, since his manager told him uh, we're willing to pay you more, <laughs> you know? Like that's yeah, probably yeah, you could just hint. ask like how much more? Yeah, how much would you be willing to pay? What's the most you'd be willing to pay me? 
<laughs> I expect they would say, I don't know how much do you want, but oh, yeah. they might not. They might say a number. And then that doesn't mean you have to take that number, but that's more information. So a minute ago, you hinted at coming in with other job offers as a data point in your in your armament. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten a, t- done an interview and gotten a job offer so that you can negotiate for a better salary at work? Actually, no, I haven't. And I am pretty sure several months ago on this podcast, I am on the record saying that feels scummy to me. (laughs) It does to me too, but I think you... But I know people have done it before. Yeah, yeah. And um, I have seen it done. I have not done it myself, but I have gotten job offers and then declined them and then at a later date, used that as a data point to argue for a bigger salary at my current job. But I've never walked in, you know, with a hostage and said, <laughs> give me more money or I'm going to, I'm going to let this grenade drop. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I think you could do it in a non-scummy way. If you were genuinely, if you were interested in taking another job, if the money was better. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it, if it wasn't going in with the attitude of, I'm going to go get an offer from this sucker company that I'll never accept and then take it back yeah. to my company and make them give me more, more money. But if it was just like, I'm feeling underpaid. This other job could pay me more, but I would also be happy to stay here if I made this, this much more money too. Yes. And this is an important point because just because salary.com says a number or even your coworkers have a number, the only number that actually matters is how much someone is willing to pay you. And the only way to find that number is to go ask someone to pay you. And that you do that through the interview and offer process. And so at the end of the day, that is the most reliable way to figure out what you are actually worth on the job market. Yeah. As a small aside, this is one thing I really enjoy about consulting, which is you have these conversations way more often than in full-time employment because you're constantly working with different clients and you have to figure out your value and what you're um, what you feel like you can convince the clients that you're worth mm-hmm. a lot more often. Uh, so it, I think, I feel like it makes that a little more clear to me. Yeah. Cool. Have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck, Klaus. I hope you make huge piles of money and find the happiness that you so desperately seek. Yeah, I'd love to hear um, what you decide to do and how it turned out uh, and not how much money you make. I don't <laughs> I don't care about that part, but I just <laughs> want to know how it goes. Yeah, we'd love to hear about it too. Send us a message. How can people generally send us messages jameson they can do it on twitter they can send us a direct message to ask us questions or just to leave non-public feedback also there is a link on our website softskills.audio that lets you submit to a google form and if you want to stay completely anonymous that's the way to use because then we won't get any information that you don't share with us Mm -hmm. also on the website they can see all our past episodes yep Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast you can visit our sponsor, Algolia. I think we have a link to their uh, their job offer posting yep. on the website. And you can comment on past episodes. If there's something that we said that you want to correct or maybe an extra idea that we didn't get to, you can leave a comment underneath each episode by clicking on the episode title. And several of you have done that. And it's actually really cool to see the conversation start to talk about stuff we missed out or that we left out. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's great. If you're enjoying this show, the the best thing that you could do for us is to just share it with other people. We really like doing the show. 
um, and we plan on doing it for a long time. It is more fun if more people listen. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we get more questions. We get a broader variety of experiences that we are exposed to. And and that's super valuable for us. So if you're enjoying it, just tweet about it. You could do some canvassing. You can (laughs) (laughs) go print out a piece of paper. Start a (laughs) change.org petition to, to get it included in Spotify. I don't know what you would do on there, but lobby your Senator to pass a law, making it illegal not to listen to this show. Yeah, that sounds good. Please share it with people. We would love that. All right. Thanks, everyone. Yep. See you next week.